scriptures and the Bible is so that we knew what to believe. We cannot be sincere and believe the wrong thing. We must sincerely believe the truth, and the truth is found in your son, Jesus Christ. And everything that you taught us and everything that we sang about just is all found in the scriptures. We cannot just believe anything we want. So teach us today what it is to believe. Teach us truth. that It'll change our thinking, depending on maybe what we believe, to what it is that is correct and right. Guide us today as we wrap up First John and as you have taught us all month that we might be more like Christ, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sermon notes over there. I want to tell you guys all a little trick. When you come into church, if all of the notes are not in the sermon notes, here's a little trick. See what passage of Scripture I'm using before service starts. Find it in your Bible so you're not looking for it. Put your notes in there and you can follow along. I don't always have the room for all of it. So, All right, sis, pop that first graphic up there for me. I don't know if any of you have ever tried to set an anchor in the lake. I don't know if you've ever tried to set an anchor in Lake Erie. There, there's a section there for those of you who go out and fish. There's this gray, this blue-gray clay. It's extremely difficult. And there's some rules, and there's some laws. Number one, you have to have a good anchor. If you don't have a good anchor, everything else I tell you is absolutely worthless. But normally, the, the law is, is that the, 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 the characteristic is, is however deep of water you are, you let out three times as much. If you're in you know, 50 feet of water, you let out 150 feet so that the right angle gets it to hold. Now, I would like to tell you a story about, not myself, because though this has happened to me many times, I really don't want you laughing at me about this. I'd like to tell you a story about somebody if, who's in the newspaper all the time. I'm not going to tell you his name. Um, but he, he's in the newspaper. He, he's a Lake County official in some way, shape, or form. For years he's served. You've seen his names. You've seen the different things. I know him. He loves to fish. He's out there perch fishing, but he doesn't know much about boating. And one time when he was out there, there was this pack of boats. Probably when fishermen start fishing for perch, wherever the first guy drops his anchor, a hundred people drop their anchor within 30 feet. Seriously, there can be 50 to 80 boats out within a half-mile radius. And they're all trying to hold anchor, and they're all trying to fish and stay on the perch. Well, this one gentleman, who you would all know if I told you his name, but I'm not going to tell you his name. This is a real... He knows a lot of different things, but he don't know much about fishing. He was holding anchor, he was catching perch, and all of a sudden, all of us started to see him start to drift. He started to drift and drift, and several people were yelling to him, but he didn't know that we were all yelling to him. He was heading towards, slowly, a pack of boats who he was going to be on top of their anchor. And I can't even begin to tell you the problems you begin to have when you get on top of another boat, but he really didn't see it until he was about 10 feet from another boat because he's fishing off the back. And the boats that he ended up in ended up right in each other. It was a tangled mess. And you would like to think that people were patient. But if you know who it was I was talking about, people were pretty kind to him because he's kind of powerful. Now here's the thing, and I know this. He thought for sure his anchor was holding. He thought for sure it held for a while, but just a little bit of wave action just kind of just pulled it up out of that clay and drug it along there. He thought for sure it was in there. Can I ask you a question? What are you sure of? He was sure. What are you sure of? 
what are you sure of? What is it that you know? You know, when I was about in sixth grade, I was in love about 15 times. And people said this to me. I can't tell you how it irritated me at the time. Oh, you're just, you're just in sixth grade. That's just puppy love. You probably don't even use that word anymore. There's a song about puppy love, you know. The puppy love. And that irritated me. But after about 15 times, I figured, yeah, they, I, guess they know, I guess that was. You know, I thought for sure I'm in love with this one. But it wasn't the case. What are you sure of? Are you sure that water brings life? The people are sure that nobody will find water. And some people say, oh, we're going to find water on other planets. We're going to find life. I don't know about that. Are you sure of the sun, the moon, evolution? You put your faith in that? And I guess all of that is important and that type of thing. But the question today is, as we've been studying, and John is, is what are you sure of spiritually? What do you K-N-O-W about your spiritual life? And, of course, you see the notes I have in here for the fourth and last time. First John was written by a guy who wrote the word know or knows or known over 40 times. What we can know, he's 95 years old. He walked with Jesus. He wrote five books in the Bible. If he knows him, and you know the interesting thing is he doesn't say, I know. He says, we know. And so as I go over the last nine verses of 1 John, this is a letter that he's written, the last, he wants to say some of the most important things in the last nine verses. All right? Number one in your notes, the one thing that uh, he, he, as our life coach, wants to teach us is that Christians should live with confidence. This is something he says we should know. Now, you know that a life coach tells a person that they're coaching, you know, you have followed what I've taught you, You've done what I've asked. You've seen the results. Now you know it works. At the beginning, you might not know. John is writing, and he's winding down this letter, and he says, you know what I'm telling you works. Here is verse 13. One of his signature phrases, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may, here's the word, know that you have eternal life. Do you know you're going to heaven? You know, we'll talk about that in a minute. Some people think that that's just spiritual arrogance. Why did John say that then? You know, I write these things to you. That's his signature phrase. To who? Remember when we were singing the song in the creed? I believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And here, he basically uses this phrase, those who believe in the name of the Son of God. Now, what does he mean by that? Because names mean everything. Do you believe in the name Jesus Christ? Do you believe that Jesus, which is the name that, that, that God told Joseph and Mary, give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means he saves. Christ means the anointed one, which means he's the prophet who was to come. When you believe in Jesus, it means you believe in a whole lot. He is equal to God. Cults don't teach you that. He is equal to the Father, just like the Spirit of God is. That's what we say. Do you know Jesus never accepted anyone who believed in him in the head? Because sometimes they say, oh, I believe in Jesus. No, no. To believe in Jesus means all in. It means when he teaches what he's going to teach us today, I believe it, I'm going to live it. To be a follower of Jesus means to believe in him. You can't just, Jesus never accepted anybody who believed in him in the head. 
had to be all the way down in their lives and in our hearts. And of course, what is the condition? We meet the condition of believing and living for Jesus Christ, then we have the confidence. So if you don't have the confidence of that you know you have eternal life, it's quite possible you may know about Jesus here, but it isn't in your being, and it hasn't changed your life, you know. There is this sin uh, that is out there, maybe you know about it, it's the sin of presumption that says believing you're going to heaven is a sin. And uh, John wrote five books in the Bible and constantly told people you can know. It's not an arrogance. Do you know why? When it, it's arrogance if Evan says, I know I'm going to heaven because of what I've done. That's arrogance and that's stupidity. It is an arrogance to say, Jesus paid my way. I could never but I put my faith and my trust in him. I'm confident in him. He's taken me to heaven, and I am living for him. Check your heart. Do you have the confidence? If not, today we'll close today with prayer, and you can make that decision. Number two, uh, John was t trying to teach us to live with poise, to live with poise. You know how a life coach is. After repeated life lessons, they give the student this poise, this confidence that they didn't have before. They kept stumbling and stumbling, but now they believe that they can move forward. Here's verse 14. He says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. How do you approach God? He says, you can have a confidence. You can have this confidence, and here he spells it out, that if we ask anything according to his will... He hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. People who believe in Jesus, who also have put their faith and their trust, who are living for him, they have this poise about them. And the word poise simply means composure. When does a person need composure? When life turns tough. When trials and temptations come. When life stinks, when the wheels come off. More than anything else, it's easy to be a Christian when everything's going just fine, but when it gets tough, there's this confidence that we can have in a pro And it's a poise that as we grow closer and closer to Christ that we should have. Jesus teaches us to ask in his name anything that is according to his will. So simply put, when I ask of something, first thing I run it through is, is Lord, I know you, and I know you're a good God. I know you know what's best for me. If I ask anything according to his will, my confidence is I have this poise. It's mine. John said he knew that. Now, if you're a younger Christian, you might have been like me. Every time I, you know, I'm a little bit of a strong-headed person. Some of you probably don't realize that. I'm a little bit of a bullhead, strong-headed person, and you know, oftentimes I'd go to this hardware store in Painesville, and i know exactly what I wanted. I picked it up, and I said, you know, Jeff at Jeff at Hawk, and if you're a Christian, you only shop at Jog and Hardware Store. I said, I I'm fixing my, my sink, and, and I need this part, and I need one just like this, and after like six months I, he'd say well that's okay but you really don't want to do that I got this over here and this will help you I mean I tried to buy a lock washer from him he said he has this yeah that, that's okay but these stars they start they touch on like about six or eight different places they lock better and now I just go to jog and hardware store and I say Jeff would you just tell me what I need that's how I need to approach God I've been here before, Lord. I thought that I knew. I've seen what you did. Lord, here's my prayer. And ask anything. There he says, and whatever we ask, and have this poise. You're not, I know you're not Jeff, but you know what's best. You know what's best for me. 
I've learned it in the hardware store, and I'm learning it in my prayer life. As you approach God, approach him the same way with this confidence. Pray without fretting and ask and know. He knows what's best for your life. He promises it for you. Number three, live to help others. This is something John has talked and talked and talked to us about. When someone has had success with a life coach, you know, John's our life coach, the tendency is to put someone else down who is just starting out with life coach, right? I've been with a life coach for two years. I've learned all these things. But the tendency is to forget when you first started out, you didn't do everything right. And sometimes Christians can project that on somebody else, and so he's very cautious here, and I want to be cautious with this. In this passage here, whenever you hear the word life, it means, translated, eternal life. Whenever you hear the word death that is read here, it means eternal death, separation, hell. Heaven, hell. Life, death. Read on with me, verse 16. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin. Here's the second really short definition, right? First John 3, 4, you know, sin is lawlessness. Here he says all wrongdoing is sin and there is a sin that does not lead to death. Folks, we are here to help and to pray for each other. You help me, I help you. Pastors aren't above sinning and falling. Either are you. We are here to help each other. We are here to together. I hope you have a couple people who hold you accountable. That's the best way to grow. I know I do. And so you look at this here and we say, boy, if we get ready to approach somebody, somebody who has sinned, the question is, is do they want to just keep on sinning? Or do they want to continue to try to follow Christ. You've got to decide that. Because the unpardonable sin, you might want to look it up sometime, but the whole story comes from Mark, the third chapter, where Jesus is healing people. Jesus is miraculously doing these different things, and these religious leaders come along and they say, hmm, it's by the power of Satan, by Beelzebub, that you're driving these demons out. And that's blaspheming. If you want to know blaspheming in the Holy Spirit, blaspheming God, it's where God does something and the people give credit to Satan. They, get, they don't give credit to God. They get, and how could a person like that be saved? It's unpardonable. You, you can't continue to live in that place, have your heart continually hardened so much that you see what God is doing, yet you won't give him credit. It's the unpardonable sin. He's not talking about praying for them. He's talking about pray for somebody. And you notice he asks you to pray first. The hope is is that you'll get a chance to talk to them, but, but pray for them and care about them. You see, what John taught here doesn't work real well in the American Christian church. You know why? As soon as we've prayed about it, as soon as I approach you or you approach me, we have this saying in the church. Who are you to judge me? That nullifies that in my life, and it nullifies it in your life. If somebody comes, and hopefully they do it with the right attitude, and all, when somebody criticizes me, I was always taught, just contemplate it. You know, after you just like, who do you think? Contemplate it a little bit. See if there's any truth in it. 
contemplate it, see if there's any truth in that. We need to live to help others, you know? And Christians who've had a, a, another Christian lovingly show them the error of their way need to do the same. It's not easy, but oh so necessary. Oh so necessary. Number four, live different. If John has taught us anything as our life coach, he has taught us to live differently. Live differently than what you hear on the radio, what you read in book. You look at the scriptures and you live differently. A, a, a life coach, he rightfully expects their students to live the disciplines that he's taught them. In verse 18, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe. And the evil one cannot harm them. Three entities I'd like to identify to you here. Number one, the one who was born of God. Do you know in the Gospel of John who wrote this also, he heard Jesus tell Nicodemus, you must be born again. That's, John uses this phrase a lot. The one born of God is a Christian who has been born of God and the Spirit of God lives inside of them. This next one, since we see what he does and the O in one is capitalized, the definite article is used and this is a reference to the Holy Spirit. The one who was born of God keeps them safe. Now you ask the question, who, how could he be born of God? This is a reference to the same terminology that's used in regard to Jesus. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. And it's hard to times think begotten, born of God, they think he's born. no. He's of his essence. This one here is of his essence. This is of the Holy Spirit. And we know that Jesus taught us he's the one that keeps us safe. He's the advocate. He's the one who comes alongside. And the evil one here, since the O in evil one is not capitalized, we know that this is the one who rules the world. He, we, we can only overcome him by being holy. Holy is different. You can't, he can't harm us if we live and the Holy Spirit is the one guiding and protecting me. When I, when I was growing up, we had something called a crossing guard. I, I don't know, on the way to school, we had a crossing guard. I don't know if you, any of you guys have them today or not, but we had a crossing guard who was there watching out for the kids and there was a place you had to cross, you know. Cars stopped this, at the other. They threw their body out first and didn't let any kid go out there until everything was safe. But all of us... If they were waiting and we were in a hurry, especially getting home, we'd go up the road about nah, 100, 200 feet and cross over there and get in trouble and get called into the principal's office, you know? The crossing guard was there to try to keep me safe. The crossing guard in the scriptures is the one who is there that we listen to. When we read the scriptures, we listen to him. Not what might be popular, what I think. He guards me. He keeps me safe from the evil one because the evil one rules the world. He rules the world, and you need to know and understand that. Jesus knew that. We have the Holy Spirit. We're in the Word of God. The Word of God teaches us. No one who's born of God continues to sin. Don't listen to anybody who tells you you sin every day in word, thought, and deed. If I read First John right, that basically means that I don't know God. You read it, you tell me, I'd love to have a conversation with you. Know that you can live holy, that you can live different, that you can live for Jesus. Number five, live shrewdly. Sometimes people think that's not a Christian word. My only difficulty with that is Jesus used that word. Live shrewdly. A life coach over and over tells their students, be alert, be on the guard, watch you don't slip back. You know, in the Christian world, it's called backsliding. 
the life coach doesn't want you to go back to your previous way of life. In verse 19, our life coach says, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Two verses in a row, so that you know there is a devil, there is Satan, his band of merry men are trying to trip you up. They control this world. Jesus, when he was tempted, Satan came to him. He says, look at all of this. All of this, you know, I have, and, and, and it's all mine. It's under my control, and I'll give it to you if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus didn't say, it ain't yours. He said, the Bible says, worship the Lord your God only. You understand that this world is controlled, and the first thing that Jesus comes to do is to set up his kingdom in our hearts. It's all throughout the scripture, in our hearts. The physical kingdom is going to come. We cannot get into the same problem and the same situation that the early Jews were thinking. Oh, Jesus has come. He's going to set up the kingdom. Everybody wanted the earthly kingdom first. It's got to be in my heart or I can't get into the kingdom. That's why God is patiently waiting for as many as possible. And that's why in September we're going to reach out to all of our friends and family and neighbors so that they can know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. We have to live shrewdly. It simply means to be astute. Astute. It, uh, Christians who are educated, who have experienced uh, um, Christ as a follower, and, and they have experienced Jesus, we are the ones who live astutely. We understand. We look around. We say, we're not expecting everything to be, oh, this should be Christian. We understand it ain't. We understand it ain't. Number six, live resolute. A life coach teaches that there are absolute ways to live, to treat others, to build a work ethic, to eat right, to exercise right, whatever you have a life coach for. And our life coach uses the word no twice and the word true three times. Verse 20. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. Understanding, wisdom. The fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom. So that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Do you think that just said Jesus is God? He is the true God and eternal life. Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life, eternal life. I'm the eternal life. There's no other road to heaven other than Jesus, no matter what you want to believe. I wish there was, but Jesus would not allow for that. We must live resolute. The word true here means the opposite of was fictitious and counterfeit. Live resolute because God is absolute and he is true, true, true. We have it through his son. There's, folks, be careful of the gray areas. I'm a Christian. I, you know, you know how it is. There's, 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 there's darkness, and then there's light, and then there's the gray area. You know, and the gray area oftentimes is straddling the fence. You know, we straddle the fence, and you know, you straddle the fence long enough, you know, you're going to slip and hurt yourself. Straddle the fence long enough, you, you slip and hurt yourself. And here's the thing I want to say: the scary thing for Christians is, listen, the gray area really isn't gray. It's dark. It's dark. It's darkness. The one who abides outside of the light abides in darkness. Be careful not to live in the gray, folks. Let us live resolute for Jesus. I love that song. We often have a difficult time picking a lot of different songs to worship to. You know how few times the name Jesus is used in songs? I so appreciate that song, Candy. 
So in the top of your notes there, I have the American Idols, right? American Idols is a television program, you know. But people today, people are proud of their idols. It's like, they, you know, whether it's social media. I, I see this one lady, she puts on social media, she's so glad she's divorced, and her and her five or six kids have never been freed up like they have, and it's just like, what? It's a Christian in the church. Putting it on there, you know. Lust used to be a sin to be avoided. Now we show it off. Power, man, something to be wary of. Now, hey, maybe let me let it flaunt, let me flaunt it. America's idols are basically resolved around myself and what it is that brings me pleasure, what it is that I enjoy, what it is that's easy. And none of those, none of those Jesus walked in. Now, if I'm a follower of his, I need to follow life the way he did. The last sentence, the last verse in this book, John says in verse 21, you do have this in your notes. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Why? Because your idol, my idol, will separate me from God. What do you love more than Jesus? Oh, nothing. Hmm. I find it extremely interesting. Here's, let me give you the central point here, and we'll move on. Uh, it simply means to know your idols, right? If, if John ends with this, and he uses the word no, know your idols, Evan. Over 40 times he uses the word no. Each and every one of us has to be honest with ourselves to know our temptations, to know where our idols are. Let me ask you a question. Uh, as I meditated on this, number one, pleasure. What is it that I enjoy more and makes me happy more than doing what God asks or being where God wants me to be? You know, Christians have found their idol in their family. I understand better than ever why Jesus said, unless you hate your mother, your father, your brother and sister, you can't follow me and you can't be my disciple because people put their family from their grandkids to their kids to their spouse to everything else in front of Jesus all the time and where he wants you to be. And no matter how you try to make it to them, I guess I just want to say to you, has it become an idol? And, and I say to myself, and I say to those, you know, man, the older, it's like, man, I love my time. Uh, I love my hobbies. How about you? Do my time and do my hobbies take the place of my Jesus and where it is he wants me to be? Folks, I have a graphic that I'd like to put up there for you, sis, if you could put that tourist graph up there for me. There's a tourist, I don't know if you even have it up there, you got it on there for me? And this tourist is on his way to where else? Tuscaloosa. And this tourist is on their way to Tuscaloosa, and they, they come to a fork in the road, and there's no direction. He stops. He doesn't know which way to go. He, he sees the sign. Doesn't this go left or right or whatever. So he, he sees a little boy on the side of the road. He says, hey, little kid, boy. He says, does it matter which road I take to Tuscaloosa? To which the boy says, not to me, it don't. Now, you understand that there's all kinds of people, they really don't want you to follow Jesus fully. There's all kinds of people you work with, maybe in your family or whatever, they don't care what road you take. Matter of fact, they'd really rather you didn't take the road to Jesus because it's a narrow road. They don't care. It don't matter to them because the choice is yours. This guy should have taken a map or a GPS or had it on his phone. And you and I have that ability 
because we have the Bible and hard copy. We have it electronically. We have it on a computer. We have it on our phone. And we know Jesus is the way. I want to ask you today, do you need to rededicate your life? Has you gotten some idol in the way? Because, you know, what you know in the world might kill you physically, but what you don't know spiritually will kill you every time. And John said 40 sometimes, I want you to know this. Would you bow your heads with me today? Father, as we let your word sink into our heart, as we let your word sink into our heart, what you have spoken to us today, Holy Spirit, do your job here today, which I know you will. For each and every one of us here today, may our hearts be open to what it is that you say to us. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life, which simply means to have Jesus. With every head bowed today, with every head bowed, your eyes closed, would there be somebody that the Lord spoke to you today like he did to me 30-some years ago that you want to give your life to Christ today? You want to rededicate your life to Christ today. With everybody's head bowed, would you just lift your hand right up wherever you're at? I'll get a chance to pray for you. Anybody else? Father, as we uh, hear your word and as you have spoken to us today, for us as followers of Christ, I thank you so very much for you challenging us, for you teaching us the truth, for you letting us know that we can know, and for those here today that have raised their hand to rededicate their lives or to give their lives to Christ, may your Holy Spirit pour into their heart and into their life. Will you open up the scriptures to new understandings to them? Will you open up uh, the, the Bible to them so that they know and see? Will you help them know how important it is to be in fellowship with you? And for those here today that were like me, they heard a message like this, and yet I kept thinking and thinking. They're here today. They're seeking you today. I pray, Father, that you will hear their prayer because you said, Jesus, if they search for you with all their heart, that they will find you. Thank you for the truth that you have taught us this entire month through your disciple John, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.